18, I began my life of serving the church in ministry. As an 18-year-old kid, I started youth pastoring in a small town called West Columbia down in southeast Texas. Over the next five years, I found myself, as I was in college, um, serving on staff at, at three different churches. And, and back in 2007, I found myself with a coaching job in Livingston, Texas. And our, probably two, three weeks in, I started attending First Assembly there in town and just loved it. And so started going, and within a few months... They asked me to come on board as their junior high youth pastor. Then that spring, I met my wife, Tina. She wasn't my wife when I met her. That'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? Um, but, but we um, were just a few months later after we met, we got engaged to be married. And we had planned on, once we got married, that she would move down to Livingston and we would continue to serve in our role as junior high youth pastors. And so that was the plan. I would keep coaching and doing all that. One Sunday night, though, we were, I, I was at a, at a church service and just felt like God told me that it, we needed to go to Nacogdoches. And so we talked to the pastor there, and we told him that we were going to move to Nacogdoches and that we were going to serve any way that he wanted to. Um, I'll be honest with you, we were incredibly nervous because we, we finally talked to him around January. We were getting married in March, and we didn't have a house. Um, matter of fact, we didn't find a house in Nacogdoches until like a week before our wedding. So needless to say, it was incredibly stressful. I was 24, about to be married, and I was leaving what I knew, and I was leaving my job and my ministry position to go somewhere else that God was calling me, yet I didn't have a job or a position to go to. But I heard God, and so we went. About a month went by, and the pastor had asked, asked us to come on board as youth pastors, and he wanted to, us to build a youth ministry from the ground up. They had two youth in the church, and so he said, we want you to build a, a ministry out of that. And I went, okay, we can do this. And so our very first service, man, we packed the house. I'm telling you, we were busting at the seams. We had five people. But you know what, I was excited because that was double what we started with before we had our first service. And, and I'll be honest with you, I had no clue what I was doing. But what I did know is that if I was going to be successful, I needed God's help. You see, at that point in my life, one of my weaknesses was prayer. Now, listen, I, I, of course, I'd already been in ministry for for about eight years at that point, and I prayed, but it was an area that I knew that I could be better. You know, I prayed before meals, and I prayed before I went to bed, and I prayed to, for God to bless stuff, but I just knew that it was an area in my life that I needed to work on. I needed to be more focused, more intentional, and to spend more time talking to God. And with that in mind, and knowing that prayer was essential to the healthy growth of the ministry, I began to pray for direction and guidance like I'd never done before. As we prayed, God grew the ministry time and time again. One year, I remember God said, Jason, I want you to take 40 kids to youth camp. And I remember talking to God. Maybe you don't talk to God this way. But I, I told God, I'm like, you're crazy. 
like 40 kids. Do you know how much money that is, God? Right? Because like camp back then, and this was 10 years ago, was still $200 a piece. And so $8,000 to send our kids to camp. And our kids didn't have that kind of money. And so it kind of stressed me out. Right? Sometimes when, when you hear God tell you to do something, it makes us uneasy. But I knew in order for that to happen, I had to pray. And so I, I prayed, and I prayed that God would help us figure it out and how to get kids to camp. And you know what? Over the course of two months, we were able to raise $8,000 to send 40 kids to camp. It's incredible, man. We began to see God do miracles. And that's when I realized that God was up to something more and had bigger plans for our ministry and our church. During one, one Sunday night at, at one of our services, um, the, the, the pastor had asked for people that needed healing to stand up and come down to the front. And most of you guys don't know this about me, but when I was a teenager, I lost 90% of hearing in my left ear. Um, so up until that point, like if you were talking to me, I would turn my head to the right so that I could hear you because I couldn't hear out of this ear. And I said, you know what, man, maybe God could do it. And so I went down to the front and he laid hands on me and prayed. I don't even remember what he prayed. But all of a sudden, he was sitting there rubbing his fingers together like this. Now, I want you to do that. You're going to look weird, but everybody's going to look weird doing it. Do you hear that? Now, that's not very loud. But how many guys know if you're deaf, you're not going to hear that? And all of a sudden, like I remember standing there, I'm like, wait, what is that? Like I started to freak out a little bit. And he said, what do you mean? I'm like, I can hear you doing that. He goes, aren't you deaf? I said, I was. And God completely healed my hearing. Here's really cool. I'm in the Army as a chaplain, and I just had a hearing test two months ago. And he said that it is, I've I've been in the service about eight, eight and a half years now. And he said it is literally the best hearing he has ever seen come through the audio booth. See, we serve a God who heals. We saw people begin teenagers and adults begin to get set free from drugs and alcohol. We had students praying for their friends that their friends would come to church and and give their lives to Jesus. And you know what happened? Their friends would come to church and we would see people that would commit to following Jesus. Man, we saw gang members start coming to church. Now, can I just be honest with you? That was a little bit of a white church. You know, it, it wasn't lots of people like we've got here. And, and so when, when you start getting gang members walking in off the streets, it starts to make people a little bit nervous, right? And all of a sudden, we saw God begin to do miracles in the midst of it. And we saw the gang leader, the person who was in charge, get saved, gave his heart to Jesus, and was baptized. You see, the more that God answered our prayers, the harder I prayed. I knew that God could do it all. You see, time and time again, we saw God work. He used an area in my life that I thought was a weakness to do something, some amazing things. See, if I had refused to admit my weakness in, in my life or I had chosen to hide it instead of allowing God to strengthen it, things might have been very different there. Listen, you can't improve an area of weakness until you first admit that a weakness exists. Admitting that you have a weakness is the first step to wholeness and healing. If you've ever been through a 12-step program, you learn that step one, and this is in my words, I admit to myself that I've got something seriously wrong with me. Those of you who know me are going, yeah, pastor, that's right. I am powerless over my addiction. Listen, if you won't admit your problem, help 
is almost impossible. Occasionally, as pastors, we have someone who wants to make an appointment for someone else, someone that they love, so that they can talk about their addiction. And we'll ask, well, why isn't he or why isn't she making the appointment? And the answer often is, he doesn't believe that he's got a problem. You see, if that's the case, then they're not ready for help. It's not just true with addictions. We can't help you with your marriage until you admit that there's a weakness or a problem in it. See, you can't lose weight until you admit that you need to make a change. If people avoid you because you're a gossip, you'll never improve unless you admit that you've got a problem. If you won't face your financial problems, they'll only get worse. Write this down. What you're unwilling to admit, you will never improve. Some of you are thinking, well, all right, maybe now I can get my wife to admit that, or I can get my dad to face what's going on in his life. Man, that's not how it works. You see, it's about you admitting your weakness and working to improve it. One of my mentors constantly teaches our team, a leader's always working on a weakness. I should be able to ask you, what are you working on? And you should be able to have an instant answer. You shouldn't have to think about it even for a moment. One key to getting better as a leader, as a parent, as a husband, as an employee, as an athlete, anything is to identify and improve on your weaknesses. You see, my day-to-day as a pastor, probably looks a lot more like yours than you think. You see, stuff comes up. Time gets short. I have to fight for time with God in prayer, just like you do. Even though I'm a pastor, I have to make a, a, a to have intentionally to make the decision every day to spend time in prayer with God, just like every single one of you does. You see, Prayer has become a strength of mine as I spend time with God. Maybe you feel like I felt, that prayer is a weakness. You'd like to be better, but quite frankly, you don't know how to pray. You don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. You don't even know where to start. And here's the reality. You don't even know all those big fancy words that all those pastors and deacons pray up in front of everybody. Listen, prayer must be a priority for our church and for each one of us individually. That's why we've spent six weeks talking about it, using the Lord's Prayer as a pattern for prayer in our own lives. Jesus taught it to the disciples in response to their question, let Lord teach us to pray. I'm going to put it on the screen behind me. Let's say it together out loud. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Quick review if you've missed a week. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When you pray this Prayer as a pattern, you begin your time with God by thanking him for who he is and what he's done for you and for all the blessings that he's given you in your life. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. This is where you pray for God's will to be done in your life, in your family's life, and in our church. 
Pray that God will help you to hear his voice and to know his will. And pray that you will be obedient to his plan for your life. Give us this day our daily bread. Present your needs to God. Pray for others. If you keep a journal or a list of prayer needs, this is when you pray through that list. If you don't keep a list and you just pray for people as they pop into your mind, then this is where you do that. We serve a God who supplies our needs on a daily basis. Pray that God will give you grace, strength, and mercy, fresh and new for every single day. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Ask God to forgive you for actions, words, and attitudes that are displeasing to him. Ask God to help you forgive others. Remember, the manner in which you forgive others is the way that God will forgive you. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Ask God to make you, a strong, to make you strong in the face of temptation and help you to live a pure and holy life. Ask God to cover you and your family with his protection and strength that the plans of Satan will be defeated. See, Satan has schemes for your harm, but God has a plan. I pray it often in the way that I'm teaching you. And one of my goals in this series is to make prayer become a normal thing. Why? Because I want you to consider it normal to spend time with God every single day in prayer. That it's not just something that's done by the super spiritual Daily prayer is supposed to be normal, not exceptional. Today we get to the last part of the prayer, and it's a powerful way to end your time in prayer with God. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We're going to break it down into three parts. First, thine is the kingdom. I pray, Lord, help me to remember that everything that I have is yours not mine. Thine is the kingdom. And you know what? When I begin to think about God's kingdom, I begin to, to, to kind of picture, I love to picture what God's kingdom actually looks like. You know, here's the reality is I believe that it would probably be fun and there would be lots of donuts. It's kind of weird, right? How many of you guys love donuts? Awesome. Hey, right now, some of our people are going to be standing up. We have got free donuts for everybody that are in here. And so we have got chocolate and glaze, and there are napkins on the second chair. Um, and so you can grab that. And so several of our leaders will be grabbing those. And so feel free to grab some. Everybody's like, sweet, I love food in church. Now, here's the problem. Get milk for everybody to have with their donuts. So here in a minute, I'm going to see all of you all start going. I love free stuff. Isn't it so much fun? 
See, here's the principle. When I remember that everything I have comes from him and it belongs to him, obedience is so much easier. Let me say that again. When I remember that everything I have comes from him and it belongs to him, obedience is so much easier. I pray God help me to hold things loosely. To be willing to give or to give up whatever you ask me. And so that's what I did with donuts. But in all seriousness, though, if it's his kingdom, tithing becomes easy. It's his anyways, right? If he asks for 10%, then of course I'm going to give it. If he asks for more, then who am I not to obey and give back to him what he already trusts me with? You see, this part of the prayer helps me to remember and and to keep focused that, that I am trying to build his kingdom, not my kingdom. Listen, that should be your life priority. Building, funding, and advancing the kingdom of God. His kingdom. You see, when it's truly his kingdom that helps you, it's his kingdom that helps you keep things in proper perspective. Praying thine is the kingdom is the way to avoid being consumed with worry. Anybody in here a worrier? Later in the same chapter, Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. Do they, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who, are, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry? About clothes. See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not be much more, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first what? His kingdom and His righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you. See, there's no need to worry when we realize that it's His kingdom. For thine is the kingdom and the power. Now, when you first start out, in business, in marriage, in finances, a new school year, in a new ministry, in making a key life change, or in following Jesus, there's quite a bit of emotion that's involved, right? I'm going to ask this. Students, you go back to school in like a week and a half. Are you guys ready for school? See, there's emotion involved. Some are ready, some are not. If I was to ask the teachers in the room if they were ready, the answer would be a resounding no. Right? There's emotion that comes with it when there's big life change, when new seasons, when you're starting out. You're nervous, and you're uncertain, and you're overwhelmed. And so what do you do? You pray, God, I need you. I need your help. I need your strength. I can't do this on my own. I, I know that without Without you, I'm going to fail. 
Or maybe you pray, God, this business is for your glory. This relationship is for your glory. This ministry is for your glory. This school year is for your glory. It's all for you, and I commit it to you. And so you make big promises to God when you're first starting or you're making a change. You know that you need his help and his power, or it's guaranteed that you're going to fail. But what happens? When you succeed, there's something inside all of us that struggles to remember that it's his power and not your ability that got you there. See, when you first started, it was all about God and his help. And when you experienced your first little bit of success, you acknowledged him. God, thank you for doing that. But now that you've arrived, suddenly it's about you and not God. You did it. You are successful. And all those prayers and promises at the beginning are often forgotten. You ask God for a miracle, and he gives it. And then you take the credit. You face a battle that you don't know how to win. And so you pray, God, give me the wisdom. Show me what to do. I need your direction. And God gives you the wisdom. He gives you the answer. And he gives you the direction. And you follow his leading. And the miracle comes. And then family and friends say, wow, you did such a great job. That was amazing. How did you ever come up with that? And you respond, well... You know, I I just had to keep going and not give up. I had to think my way through it. I knew that eventually the right idea would come. You know, I can't help but imagine that God has to be looking down and saying, what in the world? It was my power that got you through. It was my answer. It was my wisdom. I gave you that, and now you're taking credit for what I did? You see, self-dependence is the enemy of God-dependence. When your hope is in you, you're in trouble. But when your hope is in Him, you operate in His strength. So you pray, thine is the kingdom and the power. God, I need your strength and your power today. I need your anointing. My ability is not enough. My strength is not sufficient. My, My smarts and my people skills won't cut it. I need you, I need your help, I need your strength, and I need your power. You see, we're quick to pray that when things are going bad. Listen, you've got to learn to pray the same thing when things are going well. Thine is the power reminds me that I can never accomplish his assignment in my power. See, I need him every single day. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. You see it? is his kingdom, it's his power, and it's his glory. You see, everything we say and we do, everything we accomplish should point to Jesus and not to ourselves. Listen, this one's tough, isn't it? We live in a culture that pulls the other direction. It's all about self-promotion and climbing the ladder and building your brand. Right? If you're on Instagram, it's all about seeing how many followers you can get and how many likes you can get. If it's Twitter, you're trying to see how many retweets you can get or whatever it is. You know, if you're on like Instasnap or whatever it's called, you know, you're like, man, I don't even know what you do with that. So, 
But, but it's all about building us, right? We've got some athletes in the room this morning, and, and when you jump up and you spike the ball down, you're like, yeah, look what I did. But you've got to remember it was God who gave you that ability. Listen, we've got some smart business people in here that, that, that do really well, and we've got to remember that it was God who gave us the ability to know what to do. We live in such a selfish society that we need to learn to point others back towards Jesus. Can I just be honest with you? I don't want to build my brand. I want to build his brand. It's not about, it's, my goal isn't for my name to be known. It's not, I don't care if people know who Pastor Jason is. It's not my goal in life. But my goal is that his name will be known. That I'll live my life in such a way that it points others directly towards Jesus. Here's the principle. You can't exalt Jesus while promoting yourself. Listen, I don't want to shine for my glory. I want to be a reflection of his glory. I want people to see him shining through me. Now, some of you may go, well, pastor, if I can't do it and I can't get the credit for it, then I'll just not do it. No, you can't do that either, right? We should do everything we do as unto Jesus. So we do the right thing regardless of whether or not it makes us look good. I want to help you because I feel like this one is a little bit tough for us. We're going to go over 10 questions to determine whose glory that you're living for. First one, do I get angry when I don't get proper credit? When you've done something and they don't even mention your name, do you get angry? Do I try to promote my, myself, my ideas, and my contributions? Is my goal to be known Listen, be careful of people who, who try to hook you by telling you that they can make you big or well-known. We can make you famous. Listen, I can tell you they're working against God's direction in your life. Third question you can ask is, how do I respond when someone else is being honored? Am I secretly jealous or do I rejoice with them? Just last night at our general council in Orlando, uh, one, of our, one of our ministers, him and his wife, they're close to our age. The uh, general council decided to pay off his student loans. $70,000 they wiped out. Isn't that incredible? Those of you who have student loans are going, man, sign me up for that, right? And I'll be honest, when I saw that, I rejoiced with him. But then in the back of my head, I went, man, I wish that was me. And man, I had to repent and ask God for forgiveness because I wanted to celebrate my friend George. I had to check myself. Fourth thing, do I have to constantly remind others of my importance? Fifth one, what's really more important? Me getting credit or God getting the glory? Is that reflected in my responses to people? 
in conversations do I remind others about my past victories and successes when they share a victory? You know these people. They're the ones that always have a story. They're the ones that always try to one-up you. You know those people? If you're sitting next to them, don't, don't elbow them or anything. Right? How many of you guys hate it when someone tries to one-up you? Like, and if you've been living on this earth a while, you can tell when somebody's doing it, and you just want to look at them and be like, dude, are you for real right now? Shut up. <laughs> look, maybe you wouldn't you shut up. I would you shut up. Be like, look, can't you just be happy for me? Why you got to one-up me? And can I just tell you, if you don't have anybody in your life that does that, maybe you're the one that's always one-upping people. Am I an affirmer of others? Or am I a promoter of myself? Man, I love spending time with some of our friends, Derek and Ashley Jackson. They're Chi Alpha missionaries at Stephen F. Austin State University. And they are some of our absolute best friends. You see, we, we've been there through a lot together. We even look ridiculous together at an ugly sweater party. We've been there through ministry transitions, and we've been there with each other through the birth of all of our kids. But you see, every time that I have a meal or a a quick coffee meeting with them or, or anything with them, I leave feeling better about myself. You see, they've been in, in our lives for over a decade, and they have affirmed me over and over again through the years. They've cheered me on to where I am today. Listen, I want to be that kind of affirmer, believing in and cheering for God's work in others. Listen, my goal is to be a champion for someone else. I want to be somebody else's biggest cheerleader. Why? Because when they have success, they're successful. Y'all thought I was going to say if they have success, I'm successful, didn't you? But listen, if they have success, they're successful. And listen, I I just want to let you guys know this. Maybe you didn't know this, but there's enough success for for everyone to go around that others don't have to fail in order for you to be successful. Listen, if you're a business owner... You don't have to pray that other businesses would fail so that God could bless yours and you would have success. Listen, God can bless you with success and they can still have success too. You got to cheer other people on. How about this one? When my contributions aren't given equal billing, what do I do? How do I respond when I'm overlooked? And this is so key. If we forget to mention you, do you get angry? If I forget your name, do you walk away offended? Do you say something like, well, well, that pastor, he's just a jerk. You say, well, they don't appreciate me. If you do, you probably need to check yourself. Number nine, 
do I try to impress others with what I've done for God? Listen, the longer you serve God, the more great things you're going to do for God. But can I tell you, God's just asking you to be faithful in your assignment, wherever you are. Past victories are awesome, but they don't define who you are. Here's the last one. And this, man, this one's tough. How do I react when something or someone makes me look bad? How do I react when my image has suffered? Do I throw a fit? Do I go on Facebook and rant about it? You know what I found when someone else does something that makes you look bad? I found that often the best answer is silence. Because if you have to justify and get your side of the story out, you're not looking very good. Let your character and your integrity stand for itself. And that's a key question. How do I react when someone makes me look bad? Listen, someone who's concerned about their glory is obsessed with what people think, with their image, instead of his kingdom and his glory. Listen, today I challenge you to live by a different code. Listen, drop the race to impress. Live for God's glory and not yours. When you begin to do that, you'll discover how freeing it is in your life. Man, could you imagine how different life would be if you lived just by this part of the prayer? His kingdom, his power, and his glory. What kind of parent would you be? What kind of leader would you be? What kind of student would you be? What kind of son or daughter would you be? How would it change your interaction with other people? It'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Listen, I, I haven't arrived. I told you guys last night I had to deal with one of these questions. But you see, that's my goal. That's why I pray for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Listen, if you find yourself focusing a little too much on you instead of him, spend some time focusing on the cross. You see, because of his sacrifice, we're forgiven. You see, at the cross, his kingdom, his power, and his glory were on full display for everyone to see. What a remarkable and incredible love. You see, when, when I consider his sacrifice and the price he, he paid for me, it's so much easier for me to pray, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Listen, if you find yourself focusing a little bit too much on yourself instead of on him, it's time to spend some time focusing on the cross. Because of his sacrifice, we are forgiven. You see, it was at the cross that everything changed. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend a little bit of time focusing on the cross. The ushers are going to be coming forward in just a couple of moments to distribute our communion elements. We're going to take communion today, and we're going to remember Jesus' sacrifice. But before we do that, I want to pray with you. Would you bow your heads? Today, you'd say, Pastor, pray for me. Man, I've realized that I have been focusing too much on my kingdom and my glory and what I can do instead of God's. And I want to fix this area of my life. Would you pray with me, Pastor? If that's you, would you just raise your hand right where you are? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hands all over the room. God, I thank you for men and women and teenagers, God, who raised their hand and said that they have been focused on themselves for way too long. God, I pray that in this moment, God, as you have stirred that in their hearts, God, that they would begin to focus on you more and more each day. God, that they would focus on your kingdom, your power, and your glory. God, that nothing they did was for them, but God, that everything they do was for you. God, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name.